Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. If this is your first Sunday, we are in Sundays in February looking at a statement by Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus underscores his purpose, but also highlights four values that define the culture of what makes MCC what it is. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There it is. That Jesus said, My purpose, that I have come that they may have life, and not just any life, but life to the full, that we would be proactive. I have come. Aren't you so glad that Jesus was not waiting for us to make our way to him? Instead, he made his way to us, God, who first loved us, right? And so Jesus said, I have come, that's proactive, that they might have, that's others focused, life, that's life-giving. And not just any life, but life in all of its fullness, life in abundance, that's generosity, proactive, others focused, life-giving and generous. Those are the four significant values. For you and I, the way that we've committed to live our lives is to live our lives being proactive and others-focused and life-giving and generous, to reflect Jesus' purpose in the way that we live our lives as well. We've been sharing about the fact that I really believe God's placed in our hearts that this would be a year of strength for our church, that there's stretch and then there's strength, and that this would be a year of strengthening, lengthening the cords, strengthening the stakes. How, how does that happen? Well, well if it happens, then, then how would we be able to tell? But one of the ways we'd be able to tell is because we'd be able to measure it in our own lives. And I think one of the ways that will measure strength coming into our lives is actually the prominence of these four values in the way we live. Think about it. A strong church is a proactive church. Not sitting on our hands, not waiting around to see what happens. No, no, no. We're on the balls of our feet. But we're initiative taking. But we'll do anything, right? Like, like we're, we're proactive. Why? Because we serve a God who is. That a strong church is a proactive church. That a strong church is an others-focused church, right? Not inwardly focused, but outwardly focused. That actually the church is unique amongst all other organizations. Because the church is the one group that exists for its non-members. RACQ has a huge membership base. But if you call them on the side of the road and they ask you for your membership number and you don't have one, they're not helping you. Why? Because they've got a lot of members, but they exist for their members' benefit. That the church is unique because the church does not exist for its members. It exists for its non-members. The whole reason why we do this is because there's people who don't know that there is a God who loves them. A proactive church. A strong church is a proactive church. A strong church is an others-focused church. A strong church is a life-giving church. A strong church is a generous church. You could fill that blank in with anything there, and it would still make sense. I think, I think about it in terms of being an employee. A strong employee is a proactive employee. Come on, if you run a business, the person who's getting promoted is the person who takes initiative, who, who kind of knows what we're, what we're here to be able to do and start, doesn't need to be asked to do everything. That They take the initiative, they can see what needs to be done, and they start to do it. A strong employee is a proactive employee. A, a strong employee is an others-focused employee. 
They're not constantly watching the clock or working out what's in it for them. No, no, their focus is on serving others. Customers and teammates and, man, a strong employee. If you're running a business and you had somebody who's taking initiative and being proactive and being others-focused, they're not constantly talking about themselves. They're constantly talking about how they can meet the needs of others. Man, that is a strong employee. A strong employee is a life-giving employee. When they walk into the room, people don't drop their head. When they walk into the room, people light up. Cooper Og is like that. Cooper Og is like a one-man riot. When he walks into a room... He just, everybody sort of lifts because anything could happen right now. And half of it's probably dangerous, but anything could happen in this moment, right? But you know the difference because there's some people, and don't look sideways at this moment, just keep looking straight ahead. There's some people who are life-taking and then there's other people who are life-giving and you know which one you prefer. Come on, an employee in your business who's life-giving, who causes everybody else in the team to rise, who who other people love to be around, man, that's a strong employee. A strong employee is a generous employee. Come on, a a person who's not constantly watching the clock, counting down the last half an hour until the shift is over. But but just, is this making sense? Somebody's taking this for their staff meeting later on, right? (laughs) Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. That that when you and I are joining Jesus in his purpose, then these four values ought to be evident in our lives, that we'd be proactive because he is. That we'd be others-focused. That we'd be life-giving. That we would live generous lives. And so over Sundays in February, we're looking at these four values if you missed last week, you can go back to the podcast and, and hear it. But, but this week, we're up to number two, the second value. Jesus said, I have come that they might have. Today, we're going to look at being others focused. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as we pray? Lord, I thank you today for your word. God, I pray that you'd help me to be able to preach it. God, today, we might leave this place different, encouraged, inspired, even challenged to live lives that bring glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Truth is, when we live others-focused lives, we live lives that reflect the heart of God. Why does being others-focused, why is that so important? Because when you and I are others-focused, we represent God well on the earth because God's heart is for people. Years ago in youth ministry, on youth camps, we would tell young people, if God really moves, that the way you'll be able to tell is not by whether or not people lifted their hands or whether or not worship went for a long time. The way that you'll really be able to tell whether or not God really moved in these moments is not actually at this time at all. It's in about four weeks' time. Because if in four weeks' time you find yourself looking out for other people in a way you haven't before, then probably God moved. And if you find yourself looking for the person who's on their own in your, in your class, then probably the fact is that God moved. And if you find yourself not being able to see people the same way because your heart breaks for people, then you could probably say that God moved a few weeks ago. Why? Because when God touches a person's life, your heart begins to beat in time with God's heart. And God's heart has been beating since the beginning of time for what? For people. That's the whole story of the Bible. God's great heart for you and I. 
And so why is it important that we're others focused, that that if we're going to join Jesus in his purpose? Because when we do so, we reflect the heart of God. Think about it, that Jesus is others focused, that the gospels are filled with examples of Jesus going out of his way for others, that that Jesus was completely and utterly others focused. Think about Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, where Jesus says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was Jesus' mindset. That I haven't come to be served. This is the prince of heaven. I haven't come to be served, but, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Doesn't the scripture say in 1 John 4 verse 19 that, that we love him because he what? He first loved us. Jesus is others focused. For me, this is kind of summed up in that moment when Jesus is on the cross, right? You remember this story from, from Easter where, where Jesus is hanging on the cross and there's a sinner on his right and a sinner on his left. And as they hang on the cross there, all, all three of them, the, the, a conversation kind of breaks out between one sinner and the other. And one of them yells across to Jesus and says, you know, if, if you really are the son of God, then, then get yourself down and, and us also. And the guy on the far side says, well, you, you can't say that to him. He's the most, that's God. And so a conversation between this other person then and Jesus hanging on the cross He says, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says to him, truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. That Jesus is others focused. If I'm Jesus hanging on the cross, I'm like, guys, can you shut up? I'm trying to concentrate. This is the whole purpose for which I came, to redeem all mankind. Can you just give me a few minutes? People are looking at me like you would never say that. You don't have little children. You've never said to your children, would you just be quiet? Is usually how I say it. (laughs) If I'm Jesus and I'm on the cross, I'm like, guys, I'm in the middle of redeeming all mankind. Like, this is a really big deal. This is the whole purpose for me coming. Remember the Virgin Mary, that whole deal? This is for this moment. So, So can you guys, can you just give me a few minutes just to clear my thoughts? Not Jesus. Jesus is in the middle of redeeming all mankind and he still has time. For a conversation with two guys who happen to be on crosses beside him. That Jesus is others focused. That Jesus instructed his disciples to be others focused. Think of Mark chapter 9 and verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus told the 12 and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Isn't this what Jesus said? That that, that by this, by the, by the way that we're others focused, by the way that we love others, that, that this is actually how people would be able to identify that the, you and I are Christ's followers. John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The truth is the Bible is filled with this constant encouragement to be others focused. Think of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I think of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace given in its various forms. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24. No one should seek their own good but the good of 
others. The truth is the Bible is filled with this repetition to be others focused. Why? Because it represents the heart of God. And when you and I live lives that are others focused, we reflect the heart of God to a world around us as well. For me, if you were to capture the heart of God in just one story, for me, that would be the woman caught in the act of adultery, which today is going to be the text that we go to. John chapter 8 and verse 3. This is what the Bible says. It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should thing of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where have those accusers of yours gone? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That maybe in this one account for this lady and her life, that there is the gospel in one story. That the heart of God demonstrated in one account. That that this so beautifully contrasts these two things. Jesus, whose heart is for this lady, to see her set free. But also at the same time, religious leaders who've got a totally self-seeking desire. That maybe the two contrasted beside each other help us to see what it looks like to reflect an others-focused, Jesus-orientated heart with the alternative. Five observations for us this morning. Here's the first one. Religion uses people. Jesus serves people. These religious leaders didn't care about this woman. They didn't even care about the Old Testament law that they were trying to say, you know, the law of Moses says. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about the Old Testament law. They didn't even care about the situation. I mean, if they really cared about the situation, where's the guy that this woman was caught in the act with? There's none of that. The truth is, they don't care about this woman at all. They're hoping to use this woman to achieve their own goals and purposes. They want to be able to use this woman to try and trap Jesus and build their own ministry profile. And so they throw her down in, in the midst. Everybody's standing around, ready to pick up stones, ready to see what Jesus might say, not because they care about the law and not because they really particularly care about Jesus' responses and not because they care about this woman, mainly because they care about themselves. By contrast to that, Jesus doesn't use people. Jesus serves people. Did we just read it before? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That religion uses people, but Jesus serves people. If you and I are going to reflect the heart of God by being others-focused, then we must be people who serve others. Not just friends and family. And not just people we meet in church. But serve people. Which people? All people. You mean the people who live in our street? Yes. 
You mean the people who go to the same school as our kids? Yes. You mean people who've moved here from interstate? Maybe. (laughs) That you and I would reflect the heart of God. That the heart of God breaks for people. That Jesus doesn't use people, Jesus serves people. And if we're going to join Jesus in his ministry that then, and then in being others focused, that then we've got to serve people as well. Think about this. Religion points out sin, Jesus points to salvation. It's interesting in this account that happens for this lady, that we don't know her name, but the religious leaders are very quick to point out what kind of sin she was in. Right? They're very quick to point out what it was. Verse 4, And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Why? Because religion always points out sin. Religion's occupation, right, is concerned with self. And self, when you really look at it, all you're going to find is a whole lot of sin. And so religion makes a person sin conscious. But relationship with Jesus is not about becoming sin conscious. It's about becoming savior conscious. That's why you spend time around religious people and you'll find that there's a whole lot of lists of things for them to do. Why? Because, sin, because religion makes you sin conscious. Religion is constantly focused on pointing out sin. And so religion is about do this and do this and do this and do this and do that and don't do that and do this. And, and before, you, before you know it, you do, 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 do. Before you know it, you're up to your neck in do-do. That's religion. But Jesus doesn't... Jesus doesn't point towards sin. Jesus points towards salvation. Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Why? Religion will point to sin. Jesus points to God. If we're going to reflect the heart of God by being others focused, then our responsibility is to point people to Jesus. That's the great honor of our lives. That we're not trying to change people. What we are trying to do is point people to the person who changed us. Right? That that our job is to actually point people to Jesus. Here's the third one. Religion stands over people. Jesus stoops down to people. You can kind of imagine what this looked like, right? Because for this lady who just a few moments ago was caught in an act and now all of a sudden has people standing around her, that, 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 that everybody is standing around her and standing over her. And in the whole story, the only person who ever gets down in the dirt is Jesus. In fact, you can kind of imagine it, right? That everyone is standing there and standing over her because that's what religion does. Religion stands over people. But religion is very quick to pick up stones if you get things wrong. And yet you could summarize the whole gospel in just two words. Jesus stooped. You want to know what God is like? He's the God who stoops. He's the God who comes low. That God was not waiting for us to make our way to him. No, no, no. The gospel is that God stepped down out of heaven. That the prince of heaven came low. That in this moment, whether this woman is on the ground and not making eye contact or maybe just standing, but but also there, that, that Jesus gets down low because no matter how low she is in her own life, this is a pretty low moment, right? This is a pretty humiliating moment. And you and I in our own lives have had moments where we felt low, where we, where we felt humiliated. That Jesus doesn't stand over us to give us instruction. No, Jesus comes down low to meet us where we're at. Think about the fact that even when Jesus was born, Jesus was born in a stable of all places. That the Old Testament constantly foretells that Jesus is coming. That God's plan is always for for Jesus to come. And yet, 
No hotel is booked. I wonder what that meeting was like in heaven, right? When, when God the Father turns around and says, all right, so who's booked the hotel? And everybody looks down the table to that one angel whose job it was to book the hotel, and he's like, I, um, I got distracted. It wasn't on my Trello board, right? For the three people who are using Trello there, that's... The truth is, Jesus, Jesus had to be born in a stable. It wasn't that an angel forgot to book a hotel. Jesus had to be born in a stable because if Jesus had been born in a five-star hotel, it would have sent the message that Jesus came for people whose lives were all put together. That Jesus was born on the backside of nowhere in a stable is to highlight the fact that God himself would meet us at our lowest point, even the way he entered humanity was like that. And so religion stands over people, but Jesus stooped down to people. If you and I are going to reflect the heart of God by being others-focused, then we've got to not be afraid to get down in the mess and in the dirt with people to bring hope. Here's a fourth one. That religion causes people to drop their heads, but Jesus causes people to lift their heads. But we read it in the passage just before, but you can imagine this whole moment playing out. This woman's not looking up. She's not making eye contact with anyone, right? And so, and so religion will cause people to drop their heads through humiliation or because there's no way they could ever. And so she's dropped her head. Jesus comes in the middle of that and lifts her head. That a lot of religion is about trying to pull your socks up, but, but that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith isn't about you and I trying to pull our socks up. This is not a behavior modification system. It's not about us pulling our socks up. It's about lifting our heads up. Isn't that what the scripture says? That he is the lifter of my head. And so religion causes people to drop their heads, but Jesus causes people to lift their heads. If we're going to reflect the heart of God by being others focused, then we must be people who are constantly encouraging others, constantly causing them to, to look up and to see God, to, to look up and, and to see Jesus. Isn't that what the scripture says? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the writer of Hebrews says. Here's the fifth one. That religion brings condemnation, but Jesus brings conviction. Notice that Jesus doesn't condone what this lady is doing. Right? At the end of the scripture, Jesus says to her, does, does no one condemn you? Because they've all got things in their own lives too. That's what the scripture says. That when Jesus finally addresses the crowd, he says, all right, if you want to stone her, then, then you who's without sin, you cast the first stone. And then the scripture says that they all leave and in a particular order. You, you, we read it just before. They all leave oldest to the last, oldest to the youngest. Why? Because as they stand there, those who are oldest have got the stones already prepared. And they realize, he who's without sin, gosh, in my lifetime, that's not me. So they drop their stones, they walk away. And the next person, the next person, until everybody walks away, realizing this lady has made some big mistakes, but haven't we all? The only person in this whole story who actually has a right to hold the stone is Jesus. He's the only one present who is without sin. And so once everybody else has left, and it's only this lady and Jesus left there, Jesus looks up at her and he says, does no one condemn you? 
She says, they've all gone. They've all taken off. And then Jesus says, and neither do I condemn you. The one person who's without sin didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring conviction. He doesn't condone her sin. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't condone nor condemn. Jesus convicts. That if you and I are going to reflect the heart of God by being others focused, then we must make room for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in people's lives. This is what Jesus does. John chapter 3 and verse 16 is perhaps one of the most well-known verses, even for people who've never been to church, familiar with that verse, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The very next verse reads, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so when you and I make room for the Holy Spirit to minister in people's lives and bring conviction in that getting in the trenches and seeing discipleship happen in people's lives and seeing God begin to move, then when that begins to happen, we reflect the heart of God. We're not trying to change people. We're just trying to point people to the person who changed us. Isn't that true? And so to be others focused is to represent the heart of God on planet earth. To be others focused is to serve people. It is to point people to Jesus. It is to not be afraid to to get into the mess of people's lives in order to bring hope. To be others focused is to encourage and always be lifting people's heads. And it's to make room for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Why does that matter? Because the truth is, most people assume that if there is a God, that then perhaps he's real but just disinterested. He's real but he's just distant. He's real but he's very cruel. Right? He's real but he's judgmental. Why? Because that's been their experience of the church. I went to church once. No one talked to me. God must be distant. I went along to church once and I really, really tried, but it was like no one was interested in me. God mustn't be interested. I went to a church once. I shared something about what was going on in my life and to be honest, the way that they responded was cruel. I just never went back. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to be able to fill in these blanks, Right? And so if you and I are going to reflect the heart of God on planet Earth, then the heart of God is to be others-focused. The truth is, this is not a new thing. This is not because of social media. This has always been people's knee-jerk response to, if there is a God, what is his intentions towards me? Think about Matthew chapter 8. That every person at some point in their life is asking the question, if God is really real, then what's his countenance towards me? What does he think of me? That we would be the kind of church, that we'd be the kind of people that actually represent the heart of God well. Matthew 8 and verse 1, this is what it says. It says, when he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I want you to notice this. 
that the leper believed in God. But he doubted whether or not God believed in him. The leper believed in God's omnipotence. He just doubted God's character. The leper believed in God's ability. But he was unconvinced about God's intentions. And so the leper asked Jesus, do you want to heal me? Notice, he doesn't ask Jesus, can you heal me? He says, do you want to heal me? The leper's first question is not intellectual. God, do you exist? The leper's first question is intensely personal. He's really asking God, do I matter to you? The leper's question is echoed down through centuries. That if there is a God, how does he feel about me? What's his attitude towards me? What's his countenance towards me? Jesus' response is beautiful and it's startling and it's shocking and it's an example for us that Jesus touches the man and affirms that he does want to make him clean. Think about what that meant for the leper. The leper is not asking Jesus, can you heal me? He's already heard stories about the fact that God can heal. He's aware that if there really is a God and if this Jesus really is who people say that he is, then it's not his ability that's in question here. It's, it's, it's would, he, would he be willing for me? That as a leper, he'd, had never, he'd not had anyone touch him. That he'd have to stay well away from people. That, that even when he walked through the city, he'd have to scream out unclean so that everybody knew that, that he was unclean. He, he had a condition and it could be seen from the outside. The truth is the woman in the story, she had a condition as well. You just couldn't see it on the outside. It was stuck on the inside. Uh, many of us find ourselves probably more in that second category. That there's stuff going on in our lives and, and it can't be seen on the outside like leprosy is. But, but there's stuff going on on the inside of us. And we want to know, God, do I matter to you? Not can you heal me, but do you even want to heal me? And so Jesus' response is beautiful and it's startling and it's shocking all at once that Jesus touches the leprous man and affirms, I want to make you clean. The reason why we exist as a church, the reason why we've committed our lives to living lives that bring glory to God it is because we're convinced that every person, no matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done, needs to know how much God loves them. That God would help us because it's not the default setting of the human heart to be others focused. It's the default setting of the human heart to be self-focused. But Lord, help us to reflect your heart. God, touch our lives in such a way that, that our heartbeat begins to look more like yours. That God, you would break our heart for the plight of people who are made in your image but don't know that you love them. God, God, break our heart for people who've never known that love. God, break our heart for people who once knew that love and walked away. God, break our heart for people who are trying in a love-hate relationship. God, God, with grace, trying to walk out there. God, help us to represent your heart on planet Earth. The reason why we exist, let me say it again, the reason why we exist as a church, the whole reason for any of this, it is because we're convinced that every person, no matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done, needs to know how much God loves them. That the great privilege of our lives is to love and lead people to Jesus. But that can only happen if we allow God to touch our lives in such a way 
that we begin to represent him well in the world around about us. It's not lots of words that bring people to repentance. It's not slick services that bring people to repentance. It's not a well-organized connect group that brings people to repentance. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Knowing the goodness of God leads men to repentance. As recipients of God's goodness, we commit ourselves to represent that goodness, to give what's been freely given to us for the sake of others. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to take a moment this morning to be able to pray and then to be able to worship together. As we're talking about this, right, to be others focused. Maybe here today in church, maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. Maybe it was a big thing for you even to come to church today. I want to pray this morning that God would bring healing into your life. Whatever your experience has been to this point, It might have been reflective of the church. That experience wouldn't have been reflective of God's heart. God's heart's so clearly evident in the pages of Scripture, but sometimes we get it wrong. I heard one person say, we should not think less of God because of the people he chooses to hang out with. Right? That was the gripe against Jesus even in the Gospels. The religious leaders are like, look who he hangs out with. People like you and me. And so maybe... You're once involved in church. Maybe you've stayed involved in church, but but something's happened in your own life. I want to pray this morning that God would bring healing to that. Because it's impossible to be others focused while there's something still broken here. That actually, first of all, what needs to happen is God brings healing and wholeness to that. And then in turn, when God touches a person's life, Your heart begins to beat in time with God's heart. God's heart is for people. Why don't just take a moment, just right where you are. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning. Saying, I need God to bring some healing like that into my life. Lord, I thank you so much for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. Lord, you know each and every person's story, each step that they've taken. God, even the one that brought them into this service today. Holy Spirit, I pray even right now that you begin to minister to people's hearts and bring healing and wholeness. God, where there's been pain, where there's been difficulty, where there's been offense, God, where there's been cruelty, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reach well beyond where any person could speak into, well beyond my ability with words, that God, you would reach right in and begin to touch like a healing balm in Jesus' name. It's important. That, that, that you and I allow God to be able to reach into different parts of our lives in order to bring healing and wholeness. Why? Because the stance of a person who's others focused is to take the same stance as God. God has been standing for all time in this position with arms outstretched. Right? That, that God's stance is one of relationship. It's one of embrace. 
That's why when a person spent their whole life running from God, repents in just a moment, they find that God's not far away. God's been standing there the whole time. Just, if they looked over their shoulder, they would have seen God standing with his arms outstretched. That's, that's how God looks at you and I, arms outstretched. If we're to be others focused, it's to take the stance of God, to, to, to with arms outstretched. But if you've copped it in the ribs, the first thing you do is you drop your arms. Right? Have you ever done boxing? Right? If you've taken a blow to the ribs, the first thing you do, you're not hands up, you're hands in. Right? You're like, protect. It's impossible to be others focused until you allow God to bring healing into parts of your life. Otherwise, you'd be trying to do this, but you've got your arms so close to your chest. Because you think, man, if it, just one more blow, that was so painful. I'm never doing that again. You allow God to bring healing into your life. So, so you can begin to do what Jesus did. Man, talk about taking some blows. Jesus took some blows. But it did not change his countenance towards us. He hung between heaven and earth with arms outstretched. Maybe you think, well, I want to be others focused. Like, what, what, what do I need to do? Just do this one simple thing. Each morning when you get up, pray and say, God, help me to see people today the way that you do. And then just follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit from that point on. It's not a program. It's not about inviting them to church. Don't invite them to church yet. Even if you're really tempted to do it, just hold off for a second. Just pray, God, help me to see people today the way that you do. And then go from there. And here's what you'll find. You'll notice that the person at Woolworths has actually got a name tag on. You hadn't seen it before. They've got a name tag on. They've got a name. There's a name behind that other side of that big plastic screen that's there. And, and you'll find that, that you call them by name rather than just carrying out a nameless conversation for the few minutes that you're there packing your groceries. You may find that, that you're listening more in conversations than you were before. Morning, get up and pray, God, help me to see people the way that you do today. And then follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit and see what happens. My prayer is that we would be an others-focused church. We're not going to be perfect we're going to get things wrong. I will get things wrong. But I hope that we represent the heart of God well, that God's heart is with arms outstretched in the position of relationship, that he hung on a cross so that we would know that that is the countenance of God towards us. For a lost and broken world, that you and I may be the first Jesus representatives people meet. That's a lot of responsibility. So God, help me each morning to see people the way that you do. My prayer is that God would break our hearts for people. That we would represent God well by being others focused. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.